Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and today we've got several special guests. We're doing a Labor Day special here with a group of people. I've got Terry Fakes, Lance Ward, and Blake Baston with us today. And as we were talking about what to record, what to talk about, and, and things that uh, we all want to discuss, the center of a lot of our conversations in the past couple of years has been preaching and teaching. And whether that means preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning on a stage or leading a small group, Sunday school classes, or even just sitting down with somebody you're discipling and talking to them about what they're reading in the Bible, growing in the ability to preach and teach is a skill that every Christian should have, but certainly every Christian leader should be developing, um, whether that's part of your role or not. And so I just wanted to kick things off and say, Blake, You've been uh, in ministry for a few years now, and I know over the last couple of years have been really growing in your personal study, in your ability to teach, uh, in the the ways that you're preparing messages and sermons and stuff. So maybe just kick us off and say, what are the things that you're learning that have made the biggest impact in learning to teach um, in ministry? Well, I got to... um you know, the last few years I've been here, I've got to watch the three of you all teach a whole lot. I mean, all three of you in different venues and in different areas. And I uh, never really meant to teach. It's just the three of you kept asking me to. So, so I mean, kind of step one is somebody's got to kind of see it in you and, and give you the opportunity. And so uh, watching you guys, um, you all have different styles. But I think I, I kind of just picked up different things from each of you as I worked with you one-on-one. Uh, that was really helpful just to get me started. So if you kind of think about, you know, Paul saying, you know, imitate me, you know, it's, it's I got to imitate you guys and uh, and really just get a basis. So, I mean, I remember Terry, you know, sitting me down and just giving me a couple resources I could even trust as I went out and, and started teaching. So, you know, giving me, he said, look, you know, start with, if you don't have a commentary you love, start with these two commentaries. He gave me the Bible knowledge commentary and the and the new, new Bible new commentary. Bible commentary. Uh-huh. Uh, just as a couple, you know, unique commentaries to really trust to work through. But he also gave me this method of, you know, making sure at the as you're prepping each lesson, you're thinking, you know, what do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? Mm-hmm. And so just keeping that, you know, at the top of my little note sheet as I went through was always just a helpful thing to, to calibrate me. Uh, and then I watched, you know, Lance, you know, he gave me a lot of really good material of how to teach. But the couple big things I took away from him were making sure that, that as you're teaching, that the people you're teaching keep looking down at your at their Bible uh, mm-hmm. throughout the lesson. If they're not looking down at their Bible a lot throughout the lesson, you've probably gone off course at some point in right. time. And so that, I always go back through my lesson and think, okay, are they going to be looking at their Bible uh, throughout this? Uh, also, he gave me the power of funny illustrations. You know, yeah. it's a, somehow Lance was able to to work in an illustration of a water vein into a funeral the other day, and it was magnificent. You know, it was just uh, incredible. Um, and then I remember watching Cole teach a lot, and I always thought Cole did such a great job of kind of replicating Paul's approach with starting with his audience that's in high mind. Praise. Yeah, that's high praise. But you know, you would start with the audience that you're, you're you're teaching to, and you would get something that would relate to them from an illustration, and then get back to the text real quick. So I watched him do that whenever he was teaching, you know, a group of men of you know um, at, a, at a higher age demographic as, and then he would use the same methodology with a different topic of illustration when he was teaching college kids mm-hmm. uh, or college students um, mm-hmm. so so just kind of watching all three of you guys I just kind of I took little bits from the three of you 
and that at least gave me a starting point uh, right. to get going as I talked to her. I'm going, well, these guys seem to be pretty good at this. If I just kind of imitate you guys, um, I can at least get going down the road. You know, that's a good point because one of the things that I think it's easy to do is find your favorite teacher, say online, you're listening to podcasts and maybe you're listening to Tim Keller or you really like Andy Stanley or you like somebody else's style and you listen to everything they do. It's, it's really easy to turn, try to turn into that person. And I think listening to different styles helps you find your own style a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's what you don't want to hear is when I hear you, I hear this preacher, that's a compliment, but it can also be a downside because mm-hmm. what that might tell you is that may be the only one you're listening to. And I was thinking of the difference between like a Tommy Nelson and a Tim Keller. I, I really love, and Chuck Swindoll, those three I really love listening to the way they preach. But Tim Keller's very different. But he helps me think in ways that maybe someone else doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, all, that's always helpful, too. I think when you talked about listening to people, when I first really, when a fire was lit for me to begin teaching back in the 90s, what, it was, what happened was I began listening to expository preaching on the radio and tape mm-hmm. ministries. And when I heard that, you know, I'd grown up in the church all my life, and I'd never heard this kind of preaching. And I remember it, well, I, was, I was in sales at the time, so I was on the road a lot. So I couldn't be looking down at my Bible. That would be dangerous. I didn't have a phone to look at because there was no, you know, but, but listening to them, I remember thinking when I get home, I'm going to open up this Bible because they're pointing out stuff I've never thought about before. And there was just an excitement. And I began to think, I want to do this now. The excitement that I feel, I want to be able to do that. But again, had to be careful, Terry, that I didn't latch on too much to a certain person's style and try to be that person. Right. And I think it takes a few years in teaching to actually develop who you are and who God has made you to be, but still borrowing from all the different gifted preachers and teachers. Yeah, one, one guy I found that I was borrowing from a little bit was, you know, I kind of, to that danger of, of being too much like a few people. I mean, I listen to you guys a lot. And so I was like, I need to get someone who's just radically different, you know, just to, to, to throw into my mix of what I'm consuming on a weekly basis. So I started following H.B. Charles's podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that really guy's good. a little different than you guys, you know, just, yeah. just in the yeah. way he approaches everything. And then listening to him on two times speed is even a greater experience. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but he, but he does a great job of expository Bible teaching mm-hmm. in a very different way, in a mm-hmm. very, very different way. And so I got to, you know, I'm not the most excited guy by nature. I'm not the most passionate guy by nature. But to hear just how, you know, he can teach the Bible well with passion uh, was just, was a lot of fun for me. I always called it the jam on my toast, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it, it was just a good thing to absorb each week. But but I know listening to, to you guys and him, um, you know, I always worried, you know, I remember when I was growing up in the church and everything, I always thought to myself, how in the world do these preachers, you know, come up with this stuff every week. I mean, it just seemed like, like, how can you have this original thought every single week? Mm-hmm. And as you get into the church and you start seeing how you guys actually put together lessons, you just allow the word to lead you. Mm-hmm. And if you allow the word to lead you, it's, it's, it's like a cheat code almost. I yeah. mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it will, it will teach the lesson itself. You just have to be faithful to what the word, the words, you know, yeah. uh, taking you. Yeah. You know, one of the older definitions of preaching is truth through personality. 
And so it's the Word of God, ideally through who God made you to be. But a lot of times with young preachers, you hear uh, Matt Chandler through personality or Mark Driscoll through personality right. or you know whoever your favorite guy is. And I, I think D.A. Carson says if you listen to one preacher, uh, you'll be boring. Uh, you'll be one-dimensional. One if you listen to a few preachers... Uh, you'll be confused, and he says if you listen to 50 preachers, then you'll be a good preacher. Mm. And I think that's the way we all aspire to be. Lance, you mentioned this a little bit, but who who were the preachers that you guys really cut your teeth on listening to either early in your Christian life or in an intentional way trying to grow as a preacher, trying to add things to your toolbox as a preacher? Who are the who are the ones that you listen to the most? That's a good question. You know, back in back in the early years, it was somebody had put me on the tape ministry for Denton Bible of Tommy Nelson. And that was the first time I believe I'd ever heard someone preach expositionally, mm-hmm. not by a theme, but just preach through a book. I mean, I thought when he went through Romans, it was 52 sessions and I felt like I was born again, again. Yeah. Uh, and Chuck Swindoll these days, it might be a Kevin DeYoung. Mm-hmm. Mark Dever is, is good. Yeah. Uh, uh, who else? I don't know, Terry. Of course, Tim Keller. I like to listen to him just because he's so... I don't know how to put Tim Keller. There are certain preachers where there's a passion that really stirs you up in a good way. Mm-hmm. And there's others that just make you go, hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or as Terry might say, interesting. That's <laughs> yeah. something. Uh, Alistair Begg is another guy. Uh-huh. I, like, I like to listen occasionally to Todd Wagner down at Watermark. He's yeah. got a different style, mm-hmm. too. I think you're right, Cole. It's it's like writing, and I need to do a better job of this right now, but I heard someone say the other day, if you get to a place where you're not writing well, mm-hmm. just start reading. Yeah. And it, and I think preaching and teaching is the same way. So when I run, I often listen to an expository preacher on my run, and I begin to get more. It, it just like a teaching revival happens, and it mm. helps me to say, you know what, maybe I need to, this is something I forgot, I've forgotten, I need to to start doing this again, because this guy does such a great job of this. Uh, Terry, I don't know if, yeah. if you have any. You know, when I started, it's and I've seen the same thing in you, Blake, when you come into teaching without a lot of guidance, or just mm-hmm. as you come in, I taught like I presented in business, mm-hmm. and just in my regular life, you know, I taught like I was speaking to a group of people. And so that's your default mode and you get into it. But I started listening. Keller and I have a, I I like his style because it's kind of something I resonate with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I listened to Keller some and I love the clarity that Keller brought, you know, to certain topics and the way he unfolded it, the way he did it in kind of a low-key way because I'm also more of a Mm low-key guy. Although I've noticed I'm getting more passion into I just think everybody continues to develop. Yep. But that was one of my early influences was in him. I'll tell you somebody I discovered that uh, is probably technically, every time I hear this guy preach, I go, that was one of the best constructed sermons I've ever heard. And it's Ligon Duncan, yeah. L-I-G-O-N, Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N. And he's, he was not known to me at all. I don't know if he's a big name. And, you know, in Christianity, you have certain circles. Right. You know, and, and so I don't know if he's a name in your circle, but listen to something he spoke. Heard him at uh, Together for the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the best put together 
sermon mm, yeah. that I've really heard. He was technically good, and I thought, I could really use better technical skills like that in constructing a lesson. So that was yeah. another guy, very different, but very good. Yeah, he's awesome. I like listening to him. You know, I thought of one more, Cole. You know, I talked about recently is Tony Evans. Yeah. And Tony Evans, what he will do is he will show you more than he will tell you. Mm-hmm. He, if you ever want to learn how to use illustrations, you listen to Tony Evans. And Tony Evans is a master of the Haddon Robinson principle, too. Yeah. Bullet, not buckshot. Mm-hmm. When you listen to a Tony Evans sermon, he's the Tiger Woods of preaching. He makes it look easy, but he will take a concept and he will just use a little phrase. And by the end of that sermon, you know what the main point was. Mm-hmm. You know what it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And he does a really nice job of doing that and uses illustrations every three minutes, I think, just yeah. to paint a picture. He, he, he's a portrait type preacher where mm-hmm. you see stuff and therefore mm-hmm. you feel it and you remember it. Yep. Uh, he's really yeah. good at that. Yeah, my early, the, the days of listening to people early on is, is kind of a who's who of people that have flamed out in the performed <laughs> Acts 29 group of people. Like I probably listened to more Driscoll than anybody else in, of, of the people I was listening to when I was in college. Lots of C.J. Mahaney and you look back, and there's a lot of things those guys were good at in preaching that that in some ways uh, was harmful to their ministry. But that's an interesting thing when you when you listen to somebody and you feel like you've been a part of their preaching ministry for a long time, and then you watch them do dumb stuff. Um, it reminds you of the burdens that are on you in ministry, but it also reminds you that there are guys that are great preachers that in some ways or another uh, are not really the greatest pastors. They're not really... Um, they're struggling with a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily know from their preaching. And I like to listen to guys that I feel like are gifted on the one hand, and I want to come back to this in a minute, but but it's also really great to be able to listen to people that you don't necessarily think about, which would be the pastors that you've seen do it really well on the ground. Like I think if, if mm-hmm. you know, for all of us, I think we probably listen to Marty Grubbs preach more than anyone just because he's been our pastor for different seasons and things. I think of Brent Prentice in Stillwater sitting under his preaching in college and and uh, despite the number of people that are listening to Brent's podcast, people that are there watching him pastor, for them, his preaching is not just familiar, but it's even more powerful because they're in his ministry. And so I always, with young guys, I always discourage thinking about a, a long distance impact and think a lot more about, can you preach to people that you do life with every day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in your small group or whatever, because teaching feels really different when the people know you than when you just show up somewhere you're a guest preacher or uh, obviously we're recording right now. You're not looking those people in the eye. You're not pastoring them on a day-to-day basis. That really changes the way you preach. Um, I think as you become a better pastor, you become a better preacher, even if you're not the most skilled preacher. There's something about the impact that you can have when you're with people on a, on a daily basis. Um, who's your favorite guilty pleasure preacher? where you wouldn't necessarily recommend them uh, on their whole corpus of preaching to other people, maybe theologically, maybe stylistically, but uh, you really do like to listen to them preach. Do you guys have one of those? I've got a speaker, not a mm-hmm. preacher. I'll tell you somebody whose style I kind of like, but he's not even slightly Christian, is Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Jordan yeah. Peterson is a good storyteller. He's uh, very confident. He stays in his wheelhouse, and he's transparent. I mean, he's not even remotely Christian, as we would understand that word term. But as I listen to him, I think that 
storytelling style brings people along really well. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but it's not somebody who's actually preaching, but he's not manipulative. That's the one thing that turns me off. Our oratorical preachers, you can't tell if they're sincere or they're manipulating you. And mm-hmm. because of techniques. And I keep thinking of the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians. You know, I did not come to you with persuasive words, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I came knowing Christ. In, the, in other words, the power is in the message itself. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not exactly what you asked, but I, I like the way he tells the stories. Yeah, I thought you were going to mention Tony Robbins. I knew you listened to him all the time. I know <laughs> Tony Robbins yeah. is a manipulative guy, and yeah. he's really good at he's it. He's good at it. He's and really, really good at it. That's why I think the preachers that preach in a very oratorical style and mm-hmm. who I consider to be somewhat manipulative, it's like, don't get too big for your britches, buddy. There are people out there doing this way better than you are. That's true. And it, and it is interesting to see the effect that people have in public speaking outside of the church. Because if you think about it, people in the church get up and part of their job is to deliver a address, a 40-minute address every week. Outside of politics, it's really hard to find people that are doing that week in and week out unless you're a motivational speaker right. like Tony Robbins or unless you're, you're an academic right. or the Jordan Peterson more in that model. Hey, I'll tell you one that's not a guilty pleasure, but this is somebody who I can almost learn nothing from, and I admire him tremendously. And you guys know him as E.V. Hill, kind of H.B. Mm-hmm. Charles style, but E.V. Hill, who's dead now. But I've listened to a number of his things, and I think to myself, it's not a guilty pleasure, it's a pleasure. But you know what? I don't think I can do anything that he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I could pull off what he does, but I am in, just enthralled listening yeah. to him. He is so good. He's an amazing preacher, historic Preacher, I think the same thing about S.M. Lockridge. He yeah. got famous for that That's My King yeah. video for yeah. a while. But if you listen to him preach, he's got a ton of great sermons. And I listen to him, and I think I want to be like him in a lot of ways. My style and his are really different. But I learned a lot from listening to him. I went through a huge phase where I listened to um, Eric Mason all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's another guy who is a fantastic preacher, really good content, but I, I don't try to imitate him in the way that he delivers, but I try to imitate his passion. I try to imitate the way he illustrates. He's, he's motivating and engaging people using a completely different set of levers than I'm used to. And that's really stretched me in a lot of ways as a preacher, but I like listening to him as well. That makes me ask you guys this question. Who do you listen to that you're not learning from, you're just getting inspired by? Does that make sense? I'm talking now. I'm going to exclude where we go to. Ch- we three of us go to the same church, and we get to listen to great preaching week in, week out. Let's set that aside for just a minute. I mean, yep. and you're the, where you go, Cole, and just let's set that aside for a minute. But if you were going to listen to a podcast, you were going to listen to something that's not your pastor. Who do you listen to that you just okay? I'm not learning anything here. I'm just plain being inspired. Being inspired or being like nourished, like I, no, I would say, I, there's no, a category a of listening to people for my own soul, but I would say I'm learning from them, but maybe not working on my craft mm-hmm. by listening to them, because I listen to, I mean, I, I listen to, I still listen to a ton of Piper. I used to listen to a ton of Chandler, but I don't listen to him as much anymore. But he was that for me for years of a person I listened to just for my own growth. Um, I listen to Herschel York quite a bit. He's mm. He was my preaching professor at Southern, and I took a couple seminars with him. He learned from Adrian Rogers, and he has the Adrian Rogers voice, 
but he is an amazing preacher. Mm. Just week in, week out, you know, you're going to get great exposition and application. Um, so those are a couple of guys. I listen to Doug Wilson preach quite a bit. Yeah. He, you know, he, he's a ticking time bomb for some people and very controversial, but his preaching is really different than his other output, and his preaching is, a, is, is really good. Blake, can I ask you a question? I know that when you were in Australia, I think people know your story, or most people do, but when you were in Australia and getting more serious about your faith, you connected with a pastor there. And I realize it's a very different kind of church, but what was that experience like sitting under a pastor that's just not an American style? Oh, yeah, that was that was so much fun. And, and so the pastor there, I had two pastors there. The, the kind of main preacher there was a guy named Douglas Roberts, and he was a Scottish man uh, who was a transplant to Australia. So you got a Scottish accent in an Australian city, uh, just, just incredible. And he was an, a great, great preacher. Uh, but the guy who really took me under his wing was a pastor named Richard O'Brien. And what I loved about him is that he always gave me confidence in what he was teaching me because he could go and find about five or six different books from people from everywhere from, you know, uh, Augustine up to, you know, the last five years Mm. where he said, look how these people have thought about these things. So he gave me a good breadth of knowledge. Uh, and just kind of walked with me uh, through the guy, his hero, uh, the guy he would talk about all the time was Packer, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Packer was his mm-hmm. hero. <laughs> and so for me, I, I kind of imitated the guys who I was around. So Packer became my hero real quick. And so Packer was a guy who kind of seemed to help me wrestle with all the tough questions of my faith uh, as I was really starting to challenge what I'd learned as a kid and 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 really you know mature uh, mm-hmm. in my understanding. So that guy, I've never heard him speak before, but just as far as reading, I've probably reread Knowing God more than mm-hmm. anything else because it was just so influential in my early days. Yeah. And that's where I, I think it's very difficult for people, you mentioned it, Cole, where you know, in your early days of your faith, people who were influential to you, it's so hard to see them fall away. Uh-huh. I can't imagine what would happen to me today if I saw my pastor, Richard O'Brien, have some sort of moral failure, or if I right. saw something with Packer went out and just went completely away from everything that I had learned from him and knowing God. So those things would just be tough to deal with. Oh, yeah. Someone like me, I mean, I'm, I'm only a few years into teaching and, and, mm-hmm. and being a pastor, uh, it would even be it'd be really hard for me to see that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think on that note, the historical guys that have been really big it is an interesting dynamic because you're reading them as opposed to listening to them. Yeah. So like, I I don't know that I've ever heard J.I. Packer preach before, but I've yeah. read a lot of his stuff. Or Spurgeon is probably one of the most influential preachers in my life, but I've never heard him. I don't even know if there are recordings of him. Preach it, but you can read his sermons and think about what it would sound like. Um, I guess they have Martin Lloyd Jones recorded. They have they that do. Martin Lloyd Jones trust. Yeah. Do you listen to those? Well, I tried. I was going to say a while ago, Martin Lloyd Jones is one of those preachers. They've got old recordings of him. Mm-hmm. So with my hearing loss on a podcast, it's a little bit difficult because he's he's what is he British Scottish? Yeah, and and it's kind of staticky. Right, but. He's kind of like John Piper to me. I would rather read them than listen to them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. now Piper mainly because whether there are things I don't agree with him on, some things I do, but he footnotes vigorously everything he writes, which I respect because it's not just well I believe this. It's I believe this, and here's 
a full paragraph down at the bottom of the page to teach you where how I got from here to mm-hmm. here. But Jones was, you know, Jones was back in the, did he die in the 60s? Because I think his heyday was the 50s and 60s. When you read his book, Spiritual Depression, you think, you know what? He had a psychoanalytical mind of someone today mm-hmm. and a biblical mind that was rich too. So when he talks about in Spiritual Depression, the things you might be going through, he, he back in the 60s is saying, now, this personality type, if you're melancholy, you're going to feel this more than this mm-hmm. person is. But then he brings the scripture in, and he just had a, well, he was a medical doctor too, so he had a really good handle on the fact that when I'm preaching to an audience, not everyone is the same. And so he did a really nice job of trying to cover the different spectrum of the audience he was preaching to and making the same point. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love to read him because, it, first of all, reading, I can read a lot faster than I can listen to it. Yeah. It takes less time. Mm-hmm. But Jones was just, he's phenomenal to read because of how gifted he was, not only at exposition, but at knowing stuff that people didn't even start talking about until the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s yeah. as far as the way the mind and the body work and how how we need to take those into account for our own personal spiritual growth. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I love seeing, seeing Bible teachers who also understand the world, right? Mm-hmm. It, that, that their knowledge of the world, their knowledge of health, of economics, of business, of politics, uh, their knowledge of the world is is so great that they can they can properly teach the gospel to the world and 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 start with your different audiences and get back. I, I just think that's always so key. I, I, I um, uh, it's easy for the the old business guy in me to sit there and look at the pastor or the preacher up on the up on, in the pulpit and say, well, they don't really know what I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. right? But whenever that person can then start to articulate the same challenges that I, I was I was experiencing in the business world. That is really powerful, and that was something my pastor did very well in Australia. Was he normally start at the first fifteen minutes of our conversation talking about the macroeconomics of the mining industry, right? <laughs> and and he could do it, right? He yeah. he understood it, and so because he knew who his audience was going to be there in right. that city, mm-hmm. and and so we could start there and, and discuss the challenges of the world and how the gospel is going to confront it. And, mm-hmm. and so I, th- I think it's just so cool to see that that's what you picked up on was his ability to, to think about things that would be more secular in nature and, and apply yeah. it. That's what I love too is, and he did a good job of this and really, I think really gifted preachers do too, in that you feel like in part of the sermon you're in the classroom, but you know, by the end of the sermon, you're in a greenhouse mm. that they're not there just to give you knowledge they're there to help those roots go deep and help you grow. And they're able to kind of balance that. Terry, mm-hmm. you do a great job of that because you help us think. But you don't. It, I don't leave thinking, okay, now I know more. Great. It's something has penetrated. Marty does a really good job of making the sermon a greenhouse. I mean, you can mm-hmm. tell when he's up there preaching, he so deeply wants you to experience the Lord mm-hmm. and to grow more deeply. And you know, like you said, well, I'll just hat tip in there too. He's one of those pastors. He's done this almost 40 years in one place. Mm-hmm. John MacArthur, 50 plus years in his place. Right. There, there's those pastors that you respect, whether or not they're the most gifted or not, You and most of them are, but it's just like, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that can do that without falling. Yeah. And uh, there's mm-hmm. something to be said there. And, yeah. And you're, like you said, knowing your people, you've got to be with the people. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably yeah. the, one of the things I've learned most from Marty, you know, some of Marty Grubbs, is he is the same guy in the pulpit that he is when he's walking down the halls Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy is completely authentic um, in everything he says and very transparent. And there's just all that's got, that's got to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, that's got to be difficult. He has a very different style than some of the other people I listen to. Uh, but you, you you pick up on you know that's one of the biggest things I've learned from him is you know when I'm teaching you cannot be a different guy up there right. than you right. are. Or people are going to see yeah. right through that. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons people have such respect for him is is he he is the guy he is mm-hmm. up there. Uh, yeah, and it shows. It shows in his yeah. preaching. You can see Which the humility and the transparency. Good advice for people yeah. listening to this that are you know beginning to teach, whether it's a small group or a Sunday school mm-hmm. class or whatever it may be. You are beginning to to nurture people and transmit them. Is as you listen to other people, you can you know you can emulate pieces of other people. But at the end of the day, you need to be comfortable with who you are, mm-hmm. uh, because my view of teaching is less rhetorical, although I admit that there's power in rhetorical devices, and more in just let them mm-hmm. see who you are. Mm-hmm. Let them see your passion, let them see your knowledge, let them see your weaknesses at times. Mm-hmm. We can go overboard with that, yeah. but I'd rather point to Christ's strengths than my weaknesses. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I do think there's something about just being, being yourself, but I do think the first few years... You have to try on some yeah. teaching styles. Does that yeah. make any sense? You have to try a few things on. Well, and you try. You got to try on the people who you can actually try on. So, like, I, I definitely have tried on all three of your all's approaches in different ways. The guy I haven't tried on, I have not tried on Spurgeon, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys follow the Spurgeon podcast where you can listen to the people who've gone back and read his sermons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I know they can't even do it justice, but I can't try on that guy. I wish yeah. I could. Right. But that's just not going to be me. But I love listening to those old sermons because I'm just sitting there going, man, I, I couldn't pull this off to save my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you learn so much every time you listen to an old Spurgeon sermon. Well, Spurgeon's yeah. style, too, is interesting because it's not its not really expositional in a sense. He's unpacking, he'll unpack a whole verse for an hour. Yeah. But it's not expositional in the sense that you yeah. would hear yeah. an expositional it's not contextual. But, yeah, he's kind of unique in that way. I'll tell you a guy, Lance, I know we both have experience listening to and, and reading and, and even telling stories about this guy at funerals. Uh, but a guy that I came into contact with at seminary is Fred Craddock. And uh, a lot of people um, he, a lot of people were either really, really into Craddock or really, really out on Craddock because he's, he's the founder of the new homiletic and I'm, I'm saying that with air quotes in the sense of he, I don't think he thought that he was pioneering a new movement in preaching, but he certainly did. The way that he illustrates, the way that he does an inductive style, there's a whole group of people that do what Craddock did. I think like Rich Lowry is an example of somebody. Mm-hmm. I think Rick Warren preaches a lot like Fred Craddock. He mm-hmm. just does it in a really different way. I think I think Rick Warren is pretty faithful to Scripture in some ways that maybe Craddock took some liberties. <laughs> but uh, I love listening to Craddock just for the sake of his illustrations. Yeah. There are some sermons that he's preached that I've just shamelessly taken his illustrations. And sometimes I give him credit depending on who the people are out there, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes his I don't. His illustrations are amazing. His illustrations are amazing. You do the old, uh, as one preacher said, and you don't have to tell them who that preacher was, but... 
Um, I've used a lot of his stuff before, but it's a completely different style of preaching than the guys that we've talked about so far. I think Fred Craddock originated the mic drop at the end of a sermon because you shared <laughs> yes. one with me one time where he just leaves you and he walks away. Yeah. And does it. I, I got a question for you guys I was thinking about as we were talking about this, and I'll, I'll lead off with my answer. But what are some of the best compliments you've received in the sense of that compliment helped me to know that I'm doing my job? For example, one that I've received on different occasions is I can tell you really believe what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I could say there's several people that have said that to me. And I guess the reason that helps me is because, okay, so I am coming across not only as genuine, but I'm coming across as somebody who's not just standing up here and telling you something and then going and living a different life. And mm -hmm. so, but, you know, we, we all get compliments, but, you know, when people come up to you and they share specifics, especially if it's been over time, mm -hmm. can you think of a compliment you've received that has helped you to know that you're doing what you're doing like you want to do it? Let me think about the inverse of that first. So here's a compliment I received that told me I wasn't doing what I thought I was doing. So it's just so my very first sermon I ever preached, I've only preached two sermons, but the very first one, of course, you're nervous. You want to do a good job on your yeah. first sermon. And three weeks later, this little old lady comes up to me uh, in church on a Sunday, and she grabs my arm and does that thing that people do. They, she just holds on to your arm, you know. And uh, she holds on to my arm, and she whispers, she goes, I loved your sermon a few weeks ago. I said, oh, that's great. Thank you. And she goes, I have no idea what it was about, but I thought it was great. <laughs> and so, so that's, that's one of those, you don't want to hear that, right? You're but, the inspirational uh, right. speaker. Yeah, you we don't want to be. But, uh, yeah. Well, people come up to you, and this is the power. This is, this is something to take advantage of is the power of illustrations. But people will come up and talk to you about a story that you told. And they'll, they'll be like, I just love that story. And they have no idea what your sermon was about, what your yeah, text yeah, was, what your yeah. point was. But people remember stories and they remember you as a human being mm -hmm. and how you how they experienced you when you were preaching. Um, a good compliment I get all the time is you sound just like your dad. I always take that as a, as a major compliment. Um, I feel like the people that have listened to both of us realize we have pretty different styles. But I always take it as a compliment to sound like you do. You have a really different style, I think, than people are used to. I think one of the things you do well is you motivate through intrigue and understanding and exploration mm. in ways that a lot of people are not very good at. Um, being able to teach history that way, being able to teach biblical texts that way. Um, I always take that as a compliment, mm. even though I don't think we have very similar styles. But uh, That is true. I, I've seen your a, maps, and, and I have to say, they need some got work. work. Yeah, they, they, got they, work they need some work yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, one of the best compliments that I get is, and people are gracious to give you a lot of compliments, and you just sort of have to wrap those up in a bow and hand them off to God. You sure don't want to put them in your own head and believe your own press clippings. Mm -hmm. But the best ones I get are when people are excited about something they thought of while you were teaching. That's yeah. a great one. And I think, you know, as you were talking about this, I, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I realized the Spirit actually... Yeah. got them engaged. And I do think some of the best things that come from our teaching and preaching is what the Spirit fires up in people while yeah. we're talking or Definitely. jumping off what we're talking. And I think, yes, you engage the text instead yeah. of engaging me, per se. I love mm -hmm. that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. I bet all of us have seen this. One of the most encouraging things I can see when I look out at faces 
and it's only at certain times, is when someone starts tearing up. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they hate the sermon <laughs> <Yeah>. or the <laughs> lesson, but what you can tell by looking at their face is that I've connected with their affections. And when I say that, I don't mean their feelings, just feelings. I mean affections. Yeah. Because I think one of the greatest compliments, and this isn't always the objective of a sermon, but if we can get to the end of that sermon or lesson and people are worshiping, Mm-hmm. There, there. You can tell, and what I mean by word, I don't mean singing. I don't mean anything outwardly. I mean you can tell that God is becoming a little bit bigger in their sight, and Christ is becoming better. And mm-hmm. you, you see those tears in their eyes. It, it's just, I, I think when I'm looking out, nothing encourages me more because I'm like, like you're saying, Terry. Somewhere between my mouth and their heart, the Spirit has connected. I don't exactly know how. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, they're tears of lament because we're talking about hard issues. Yeah. And you know what that person's going through. Mm-hmm. But those tears are also tears of, thank you for reminding me not to give up in this awful life situation that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Such a joy to see that. Yeah. Do you guys have a go-to sermon that you listen to perennially or one that you're like, this just, in my mind, is the best sermon I've ever heard do you guys have examples of that when you think about the sermons that have really impacted you or the ones that you really remember? I feel like if I had to if I had to measure that, you know, being the, the old business guy, you know, if I had to measure that. <laughs> he has a spreadsheet. Yeah, I've got a spreadsheet for this. Yeah. Um, if I had to measure that, I'd probably go, okay, what sermon have I forwarded the most right, mm-hmm. to, to people in yeah. need? And I got to think not to just, you know, puff Terry up here, but that Monday Thursday sermon yeah. that mm-hmm. Terry does – um, was so powerful the first time I heard it, you know, just because it just connects the entire story of God's redemption just just all the way through. Um, but then you get to hear, you know, I heard it a couple times here in church, and I forwarded to a lot of people who were new in their faith or were, were not even in the faith at this point in time that, that were asking me questions. It was just a great sermon to connect the whole story together. But then I got to sit there and listen to that sermon right at the spot uh, where, where of Jesus' tomb in Israel, yeah. and that just took on a whole another level yeah. of significance. So that is a I'm glad we do that annually here mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you you see a lot of the people who come and watch that sermon. It's not the first time they've heard it. You know that yeah. they're they're coming every year because it's that refreshing. It gets you prepared for the resur- for the Easter celebration. Mm-hmm. It gets you. Uh, your heart in the right place. It makes you realize this, this whole story is so much bigger than what you give it credit for at times. Uh, it's just a really well done sermon. Yeah, it's it's a great story. I mean, and, yeah. and, not, and not just trying to be false humility, but every time before I go out and t- and tell that story, I just pray, God, help me not get in the way. Yeah. of your word. In other mm-hmm. words, I want to disappear and I want that story, God's story yep. to be yeah. big. And I know that's how everybody feels. That's a question, not to subvert your question about sermons, Cole, but what do you guys think about before you mm-hmm. teach? I have always thought there are two verses that I think about and I try to remind myself of. And the first one is James 3.1 to give me a proper mm-hmm. sense of humility. Not mm-hmm. many of you should become teachers for we will receive a stricter judgment. Yeah. And it terrifies me. Yeah. And so it makes me want to be very faithful to the text and not get too creative and inventive here. My second one, though, is the first half of 1 Corinthians 8.1. And this is particularly good for me because I tend to be more academic, is knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I don't find that meaning, okay, knowledge is useless, love is good. 
That's not what that says. It says knowledge can puff up and, and build up, and that's good, but love builds up. And I try to remember that, and I think, listen, if you don't love these people, you're just mm-hmm. a professor. Mm-hmm. You're not a pastor. Yeah. I, that's what I like to think about every time I teach, to just put me in my place, if you will, just yeah. get my mind prepared. So speaking of James 3.1, uh, one day I was I, I taught a lesson and I recorded it and I saw I sent it to Terry to give me some feedback on. And he, he does a great job. He gives me all these notes on the lesson and everything. And, and at the very bottom, he just hands me the piece of paper and the very bottom says, remember, James 3.1 is a true statement. And so I didn't I hadn't memorized James 3.1 yet. And so I go back to my office and I pull out my Bible and I and I was in a hurry and the only part I read was not everyone should be teachers. And I'm yeah. going, Hold on. You know, yeah. I, you know, if you're gonna give me a critique, you know, face to face, man. Uh, but then I read the rest of the verse and understood what he meant. So uh. speaking of that, uh, this is off the subject, but this is too good. Cole, you have got to tell this story about Spurgeon and was it PT Barnum? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, that, this is great. This is, this is the ultimate scripture quotation. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of what, Lance, you may know the exact reference, but he, so yeah, Barnum has this big tent thing that he's doing with the circuses and he sends a letter to Spurgeon and what he wants is for Spurgeon to come and give these revival sermons in his circus tent so that everybody will come, they'll hear Spurgeon, then he'll do... The, the circus and he's going to pay Spurgeon a ton of money to do it because he's charging. He, yeah. He's charging people and, and the industry is blowing up at this point. And I, I we can look this up and, and link to it, but I, he, he basically sends a letter back and he says, dear sir, you can find my answer in acts 13, 10, I think is what it is or something, something along those lines. And uh, you look it up, and it's the response to uh, the magician in oh, yes. Acts, where, where he says, "You son of the devil, <laughs> stop subverting uh, the, you know, the cause of God yeah. for the pleasures of man." That's why did you think you could buy the spirit of God right. with money or something? Whatever that says yeah. in that passage, yeah, pr- pretty much a showstopper. Right? I don't think they ended up working together after Which, that. Just some marriage advice for everyone listening to this. Telling the story in the middle of you watching The Greatest Showman on a date with your wife is <laughs> not, not a good move. Not a good move. Well, I didn't mean to put yeah. you on the spot, but that is the ultimate, you know, scripture quotation answer to me. Yeah. It's like, you son of the devil. And when he read that, it had to have shocked him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, the, our, the, the letters that we've read in our lifetime that start out with you son of the devil are very limited between the four of us. It hasn't <laughs> yeah. happened very much. Maybe, yeah. maybe single digits. I remember hearing a story on Terry's question, what do you think about? I remember hearing a story, you guys have probably heard this before, too, but there was a church in which the preacher was preaching every Sunday, but for whatever reason, the gospel wasn't the highlight. And one time someone just went up and put a note on the pulpit, and it was John 12 something where it says, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or somebody says oh, that to yes. the disciples. Yeah. And I, yeah. that's when they go to Andrew. The Greeks got Andrew and said, yeah. We want to see so Jesus. So we want to see yeah. Jesus. And he said, This needs to be taped to every pulpit mm-hmm. in every. And, and so I think about that when I go up in that, in this lesson, are people going to hear in the application just law? Are they going mm-hmm. to hear an application that always ties into the burdens of the law lifted and the gospel being yoked? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Spurgeon. And I do this usually before I preach because here at Crossings, you're preaching to many, many people, some of whom have never met you before. They don't know your idiosyncrasies. They don't know my dry sense of humor. You're on a time constraint, and so you've got to choose your words carefully. 
And if I'm going to mess up, let it be before 80 people in Sunday school, not 2,000 people in the sanctuary, most of whom don't know me. So I just repeat what Spurgeon used to repeat when he mm-hmm. walked to the pulpit. I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Knowing that whatever comes out of my mouth is going to fall dead unless the Spirit takes that and delivers it to the heart. And it's acknowledging it once too mm-hmm. that even though I've studied, even though I've fulfilled as best I can Second Timothy 2.15 of be a diligent workman, rightly dividing the word, that's important and that's essential but the Spirit of God's got to do something here. And then I trust that I may not even know until the judgment seat, mm-hmm. but I'm trusting that he's going to do a work in someone's heart today, hopefully multiple people. Uh, yeah. I think that's that overall word. reminder that the power is with God, mm-hmm. uh, that the power's in the Word, the power's not with the messenger, that, that that is such a great reminder to all of us, especially as you start to get compliments, right, mm-hmm. is is let's remember where the power really resides and, and not allow ourselves to become prideful uh, in teaching and preaching that the power rests with God. And kind of coming back to what's the best compliment you've heard, one of the best compliments I've heard on that note was, I feel like God used you to speak to me today. Mm-hmm. And I loved hearing that because it was, it's not that I, it wasn't, you said this, and I it was no God worked through me, and I was a humble vessel uh, for Him to work through to get the message that the Spirit used in that person's life today, and uh, that's just that that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.